Welcome back to the podcast of Steve Sully Study. Listen, I've interviewed so many people off the back end of the Gumball Rally and someone I've been hunting down for many weeks and months now is the guy who's in front of me, Dave from DDE. Welcome on board the podcast, mate, and thank you for your time. Good morning and uh, thanks for having me. So good morning. You're in, you're in Canada, right? Yeah, so I'm in British Columbia. So we are Pacific Standard Time, same time zone as Los Angeles, which is thankful. Yeah, good stuff. So um, just before we, we crack on, I mean, my persistence to try and get you on this podcast, if you were to rate out a 10, where am I? Oh, I love the hustle, man. I would say you're a nine. I mean, mm-hmm. 10 would probably be borderline annoying. Nine was just, just the right amount of persistence, which is needed when you want to get what you want to get from someone's time. Um, you have to be, but you do it in a way it's courteous. So at no, at no point was I like, geez, this guy's driving me nuts. I was like, oh shit, I need to get back to you. So I appreciate the hustle. Good. I'll tell you the reason why I've, I've, I've asked you this question. Uh, it wasn't just to stroke my own ego, but it was because you've got a very successful, inspiring story yourself. Because I saw a quote, not a quote, a post that you put up on social media a little while ago. And it said something along the lines of, I went from pouring lattes to driving Lamborghinis. <laughs> and having a conversation with you, I think it was Toronto initially, and then later on on the rally, you told me that you were the district manager for Starbucks. Yeah. And in 2013, as a producer for DDE, you joined the company and brand. And now, I mean, look, not all my podcast guests are very transparent about their their net worth, and I totally understand that. But I sometimes try and type it into the internet and see which wacky kind of you know uh, 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 you know platform has 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 your net worth down. And a lot of the time, it's wrong. I asked Smee the same question, but anyway, it says this uh, from net worth list.org on the 15th of september 2020 it says that you got a net worth of five million dollars i don't know how accurate that is uh i mean it comes down to how you measure the value of a business i mean okay both myself and my business partner we, we don't pull a ton of money out of the company as most company owners do but if you're going to go off standard EBITDA of, of 7x on profit i'd probably say it's pretty accurate just based on my corporate net worth and then personally i don't know maybe a million just because of real estate and things like that um, but for us, it's more about uh, investing in the future more than anything. So to be honest with you, this is the first time I've ever stopped and actually thought about that question. Only because what we've been doing for so many years is just pushing forward to the next day. So you don't really stop and look at it right now going like, what do I have right now? You're really looking at what's what could, what's the potential of where we're going. And that's all I've really thought about as far as like when, we, when we're ready to exit, what is the number I want to exit with? And that's kind of been my focus. But to answer, uh, to talk to you the last statement, like um, it was 2017 actually where I left my corporate job at Starbucks. So it's five years ago. Oh, right. And, okay. and I, if, if you want, I can kind of take you back to the beginning of how it all started and how I ended up even leaving Starbucks and starting this. De- def- definitely, definitely. So um, I wasn't raised in a wealthy home. We weren't broke by any means, but it was, my dad was an entrepreneur. He owned a hardware store. He owned pet stores. He owned a bottle of water company back in the 80s. So I was around um, someone that self-employed most of my life. And an era was a lot more difficult because we didn't have the internet. So all you have was the neighborhood you're in or the town you're in. So I was raised around that, watched my dad go from good times to bad times. I saw opportunities in his business where I thought, strange you would do it this way. I would do it this way. Um, but my dad was Scottish and pretty tough on me. Uh, it wasn't a, I love you, son, hugs every night. It was, it was tough love. So I worked for his uh, water company when I was, 14 i would go and it was a big five gallon jugs that people get delivered to their house that was a big thing back then because the tap water was so bad and when you go to a grocery store they really didn't have bottled water like they have today it wasn't really like part of the culture buying water was actually pretty silly back then so he bought a franchise and i would go work in the bottling factory and deliver water and yeah he was he was tough on me like you know as a boss's son it was it was 10 times worse so it really pushed me hard it really pushed me into an area of work ethic and doing whatever it takes to get the job done. So I would, uh, you know, I would get up in the morning at like 6.30, go bring water to one of the ferries, one of the islands I live on. Like there's all these little islands out here. So I had these little ferries that take water around. I'd, I'd load the whole ferry, go to school all day, and after school, I'd go and work again. I do that every day. And that was right when I was 14. So it got a hunger inside me. I right away was addicted to the process more than the result. So seeing something grow and watching the process and seeing how you can do one thing in business leads to the next thing that kind of got me excited. So uh, I did that. And then um, 
I was 18. I barely finished high school. I was not interested in school. It just, it just bored me. I, I was interested in things that are practical, like maybe accounting or, you know, how to write a budget. And even today in school, they don't really cover that. Those are the things you actually need. But I learned a bit about that. Moved out at 18. I was working at Pizza Hut as a delivery driver. And um, I worked really hard. I became a store manager when I was 21, had my own location. But they told me, they said, listen, you're 21 years old. So we can't make you the store manager or restaurant general manager. We're making an assistant manager. You'll do the manager's job, but you get paid in his assistant. And if you do that for a year and it works out, we'll give you the pay. And of course, at the time, I was like, I got this. I didn't even think twice about it. Most kids nowadays, especially, would be like, no, pay me. I'm not doing all that work. But I was just so hungry for it. So I did that. Um, and at that point, uh, I was good friends with Damon, who, who's my business partner now. And he was a couple of years, he was three years older than me. And he was making carbon fiber parts out of his mom's garage so every day after pizza hut i would uh get off work at like 10 grab some pizzas drive to his town which is called portal burning which is like an hour drive but i drive all the way out there bring pizza go in the garage hang out and he back then we had um acura integras over there it's a honda integra and yeah. we just make sort of carbon fiber we get into trouble damon was a wild man in fact the funniest story i have is is 2002 the premiere of jackass remember jackass oh, of course i do yeah amazing yeah okay so the premiere, and I went to a theater. And again, this is 20 years ago. I went to the theater. There was one guy in front of Damon that's being obnoxious, standing up, being annoying. I, I can't remember the specifics, but he was just being really obnoxious in the theater. Damon told him to sit down. And the guy stood up and put his finger in Damon's face. and was, you know, challenged Damon. So Damon stood up, uh, gave him a whack. Right, was punched him right in the mouth. The guy sat down, and that was it. And that was the end of it. That was the strangest thing. That's something that does not exist today. Today, it'd be lawsuits. Today, this is a very strange world. Like, I, I have fears over saying certain things to people. because so I have a punch in the face and it hurts. And I don't like it. So I learned at a young age, if I talk shit, I'm like, hey, so I don't do that anymore. Whereas in today's days, no one really does that anymore. Now it's more like people just say incredible things to each other. I'm like, how is this happening? But back then, it wasn't like that. Back then, it got resolved. No one called the police. It was a pecking order, if you will. So anyways, um, that was my experiences back then. And then... You know, if you think about to 2002, um, there was no Facebook or Facebook was embryonic. I think 2004. So there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was no Twitter. So to stay in contact with somebody, you really had to make a conscious effort to call them or go see them. Hmm. Um, so with that, you know, Damon uh, had two kids at that point. I was um, trying to improve my career at Pizza Hut and we kind of drifted apart. I didn't see him for about 10 years. So in that time, I left Pizza Hut, became a store manager at Starbucks. So because I was a store manager at Pizza Hut, I had the title. I could apply to be a store manager at Starbucks, and they would train me. And at that point, this is 2006, when Starbucks was still pretty young in their growth pattern. And I was excited. I thought I'm opening new locations. It was a new brand. It was a new concept. Like, coffee culture wasn't really what it is today. And that was pretty cool. So I applied to be a store manager, did that, um, put up a lot of shit there. And then I eventually became a district manager where I had 13 stores. So I was managing an area. It was like, you know, the dream job. If you wanted a dream job in a corporation, I had a house. Um, at this point, I've already been through one divorce and I had one daughter. So I'd already uh, burnt a relationship based on just not being happy. And that was during my, uh, I think I was 20, she says probably 27. So I went through a divorce at young age and right at the end. So right before I became a uh, district manager at Starbucks, I had started a window cleaning company. Because I was divorced and I was broke. So I was paying for a mortgage in a house I wasn't living in. And I had to rent an apartment. So I had an apartment that was above, believe it or not, a barn for horses. And it was a really cool apartment. And back then it wasn't super expensive. I think it was $900 a month. This is pre-craziness in real estate. But I was making probably, man, I think $60,000 a year. And I had a mortgage. And I was paying child support now. So I knew I needed to make some money. So I had to find a hustle. And by chance, I was on Craigslist and someone was like, I'm selling some window cleaning equipment and you know, start your own business, be your own boss. And I was like, no, I'll look into it. So I met the guy and he was like, yeah, you know, you can make a hundred dollars an hour cleaning windows. And I was like, a hundred dollars an hour cleaning windows. So like, yep. And I was like, okay. So um, he's like, I'm leaving town. I'm moving back to New Zealand. And he's like, uh, I, I can sell you all your equipment and get you started. I even have clients for you. And I was like, let's do this. I got some customers, I bought some equipment. I think I spent $500. And my very first, my very first house I go to is this like probably five thousand square foot house in the lake, beautiful house, and I have no idea what I'm doing, like no idea. 
So I had the squeegee and all that. And I think it took me, I think it took me three days and I charged $200. And the lady was so nice because she could tell she's like, oh, this guy's lost. So that's what I did. I, I would clean windows after work. So at Starbucks, as a store manager, you can write your own schedule. And um, I would work 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then from two till dark, I would go in and clean windows and have to learn how to do this. So I'd go there and just practice and practice and practice. I'd watch videos, I'd learn how to do it. And eventually I had four employees. And all I would do is I would just quote the jobs and I had these guys working for me that would get a percentage of the job. So they had incentive. I had a big van wrapped with my marketing on it. And um, what I would do is I work at Starbucks obviously still. And I would, on my lunch break, I would run my car, take my, my Starbucks shirt off, put my business shirt on run out and do quotes and run back. And um, that's like the most exciting time of my life because like it's all the hustle of growing something. And then all of a sudden you see money come in. I think my, my best month, I netted a profit, pardon me, um, $12,000. And I was making, I think I'm making $4,000 a month at Starbucks. And I was like, this is crazy. And then the headaches came along with that learning and business, you know, customer issues. At one point, I fell through someone's window. I came out to help on a job. I had a ladder on someone's house. I was coming the ladder and it slipped. I went right through the window and landed in the living room. And there's glass everywhere. Oh my God. I was like, I self-awareness. I'm not the technician. I'm the entrepreneur in this case, or the manager, if you will. So um, I knew right away that, okay, how do I scale this? Someone's like, you should franchise it. You should do that. And I was just like, I don't know, man, this thing's really capped. The biggest challenge with that business and most businesses have these challenges is like, you're relying on the talent of others to do the work. So you have to find someone that can clean the window. Now it sounds like it's an easy job in the world. It's actually not, it's actually quite a talent. And the guys that are good at making money at it are very skilled and they take a lot of years to practice at it. And it's to train somebody was really hard. They're in a customer's home, there's liability. So it's like, uh, this is this is not something I really want to do long-term. It's also a lot of work and liability. So anyway, so Starbucks was like, hey, we want to promote you to DM, district manager. So I said, okay, cool. I sold the company for just enough money for down payment on the house. And nice. built a house and got back in that market because I had owned the house before and lost it in my divorce. So fast forward, this is now 2000, 2017. Um, I had the house, um, bought a brand new house. I had an ocean view. It was really cool. And I had a corporate job. I was married, had a daughter and a baby at that point. And I was really unhappy. And for a long time, I thought it was just me. Like I thought something's wrong with me, right? Just maybe it was the way I was raised, maybe lack of confidence. And I really didn't know. Then one day I was like, um, um, I was driving to one of my stores. And I remember driving in my, at a BMW and it was like a 2006 through 25 I had bought for like, I think $10,000. My, my boss called me regional director. Um, he says, hey, you can't drive that car. It's a wrong perception of the brand. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you, 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 you're in a leadership position. You can't drive a car like that because like, it, it makes everybody look like you're above them. And I'm like, yeah, but I've worked really hard to get this position. I am above them. Like I had at that point I had 400 employees and it's just like, that's not what we're about. I was just like, so like, I want to be successful. I want to do nice things. And at that point I was looking at the cars again. I was a car guy when I was younger, I kind of got out of it. I was like talking about, you know, I want to get a Ferrari one day. It's like, you can't talk about stuff like that. You just, it's wrong, man. I'm like, it's fucking bullshit. So by luck, I was, um, Pointing on my stores. And this is literally like the Wolf of Wall Street. If you remember that scene where Jonah Hill walks in, Leo's sitting there and mm. is like, big teeth, oh, what, what do you do for a living? How much money did you make last month? And I, I walk into a store and I see, first of all, I see a black 458, which is Damon's, uh, was a tire slur at the time before he had built it. And this is, this is 2015 or 16, maybe even 15 actually. And I had never seen a modern Ferrari because where I live, you don't see that. Now it's a bit different. Like, for whatever reason, the world's changed and apparently everybody's rich all of a sudden, everybody has a supercar. But back then, you just didn't see, you might see a 360, maybe a four, you didn't see four five eights, and this is pre 488. So I saw it, I didn't know what it was. I knew it was a Friday, I didn't know what model it was. I had no idea. But I walk in the store and I see Damon and I was like, I knew right away that was his car. I, had, I knew nothing, I hadn't heard about the guy in 10 years. But just based on what I remember about Damon and, and his hustle and his entrepreneurship, I was like, that's his car. So I walked up and I was like, Damon, he's like, Dave, and I was like, what's up? And started chatting a little bit. I was like, the fuck is that? Like, what? What? And he's like, oh, I do online marketing. And I was like, what the fuck is that? I had no idea. I had no idea that was even an industry or a thing. And he's like, oh, I, I, uh, at that point, he had done email. Now he's doing Facebook. He's buying ads on Facebook to basically an affiliate marketing. And I was like, 
I didn't, I don't think I quite, I asked him. I think I started, I think it was after we met a few times and I was like, so what do you make doing this? And he goes, well, obviously it ranges based on the offer and things like that. But on the, on the low end, I make a hundred thousand dollars a month. And at that point, my salary with bonus was probably a hundred and hundred and ten, hundred twenty $120,000 a year. And I was working eight hours a week. I had 14 stores, tons of pressure, corporate bullshit. None of it made sense. I work for a company and I've been vocal about it. Like, Starbucks talk about saving the planet, robot employees. And it's all part of their ploy. It's all part of their game to build trust with the public. It was the things we had to do. Like we'd be in a meeting and I had to rank my manager. So I had 14 metro managers. And these are all like single moms and people working really hard, making 50 grand a year. I had to rank them from the best to the worst based on performance and KPIs. And the bottom three, I had to make a plan to my boss that they'll be gone in six months. But we don't want to fire them because that costs money. So they get them to quit. So that's what, my, that's what I was doing. Like, if you anybody watching this knows me from the channel, like that's not who I am. I like to joke and have fun and like have a horrible sense of humor and very dry. I'm not the guy that's gonna go fire somebody because they shouldn't have had a job in the first place. Or, you know, what do you expect? Like it's managing a coffee shop. You're not gonna get someone that's gonna change the planet. But but what happened in those corporate environments is that my boss had to go to his boss and be like, I know sales are down, but we fired the manager, you have new managers coming in, it's gonna be great. So it's all just this big game. And it really tore me apart, made me really depressed and burnt out. So, well, that's happening. It's parallel. So I'm talking to Damon again, and I'm learning more about online marketing. And I never asked once, hey, will you hire me or show me? Because I really I really had no idea if I'd even be able to do that. And at that point, I was 12 years at Starbucks. It was scary to actually leave. The idea of leaving that corporate job, baby at home in the house, I was just like, you're almost like on this train. You can't get off. You don't know how to get off. So... I was learning more about that. And then he did a rally called Snowball Rally in 2017. And he's like, hey, I want to do a car rally in the winter. The first one, we drive supercars in the snow. And the route was like um, Lake Tahoe, down to Vegas, to Utah, and it ended in Aspen. We did it in January. We did it in late January 2017. It was the biggest snowfall they'd ever had in like 10 years. There was 10 feet of snow in Lake Tahoe. Unfortunately, we got lucky on the weather. We made the rallies really cool. But Damon's like, if you come as a volunteer and do help me run it, you can come for free. It's a free vacation. And for me, it's like to be able to go on a trip like that, I can never afford that. That would have cost me fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to go, which in that time I wouldn't even, I couldn't even afford to go to Mexico. I've never been to Mexico. Even to this day, I've never been to Mexico. So I was like, Well, yeah, I'll do that. And I tell you, dude, like I crushed it. I stayed up every night late, worked my face off, calls, organizing. And we put on an amazing rally. I had never been on a rally, but I swear if you ask anybody on that rally, it was the best experience I've ever had on a rally. Cause like I had everything dialed and I had luggage tags, your luggage, you leave it under bed and the next hotel would be under bed again. Like I did all these things like it's ultimate experience. And I learned a lot about people. And on that event, I met some really people that were self-made and wealthy that I'd never been around because where I live, uh, it's more of a union town, not a lot of entrepreneurship, not a lot of wealth in this town. So most people just work jobs and, that's their mindset. So meeting people that were making millions of dollars is still hard for me to understand how it's even possible. And here I am, 34 years old, thinking like, you know, I kind of missed my mark on it. So I came back from that and Damon's like, you know, really appreciate how you ran that. There's some issues, you handled it. It's like, I want to grow DD into a company that makes real money. Because at that point, Damon started it, he made some videos, he's trying to figure out where it was going, started daily vlogging. Because originally he wanted to just get, have a camera guy follow him and do cool shit and it'd work. Then he realized he would never make money doing that because that's not how YouTube works. So he started holding the camera and he's like, I could use somebody to help me get brand deals. You're obviously good with business, communicating, and you have a hustle. So I'll give you an equity share in the company and you bring in brand deals and then let's go. But at that point, um, DDE wasn't in the position to pay me. So I would do Starbucks during the day and then DDE at night and during the day sometimes too on lunch break, or I would just you know steal some time from Starbucks to do that. And I just started contacting every single company. I would sit down on my phone and I'd DM 50 to 100 companies every day. Hey, it's DD. We have 40,000 subscribers. Our average video gets 20,000 views, or whatever the number was. You know, do you want to sponsor a video? And 99 of 100 would tell me to fuck off, just like you mentioned earlier about people wanting to do your podcast. And, um, and then I had my first one was a dash cam company. They paid us $3,000 to do, um, we went on a rally and I'm like, we paid three grand. I called him and I'm like, like $3,000. It was, it was insane that that was going to be a thing. A video we're already making anyways. We hold a product and we're like, Hey guys, this video is sponsored by this dash cam company. Um, you know, link in description. And we got, and they paid us and actually worked. And I was like, 
And that moment, something clicked in my head. And this was still when I was at Starbucks. And I was like, oh, this is this is my, my life now. Like, this is what I'm doing. So um, I left Starbucks August 2017. At that point, DD still wasn't in the position to pay me. Like, this wasn't the cash flow to cover my eye to kid and all that shit. So he said, why don't you work for my online marketing company, do Facebook ad buying? So that's what I did. I learned how to do that. Uh, it was really hard because I was brand new to it. But I would literally... I did whatever it took to do. And, that, and that's a big message if anybody's watching about this. Is like, I did whatever it took. And that's all it was, was hours and hours and work, work, work. So I'd run these ads. And if people don't know what ad buying is, basically when you see an ad on Facebook, there's a media buyer that created that ad. They create the copy on it. They create the visual. The idea is to get someone to click it. It goes to a landing page, is the offer. And that's where they get converted to a sale. But my job was to get someone to click the link. Click the link. So I would literally set my alarm for 3 a.m. and try it. If I put an ad up at 3 a.m., will it perform better than an ad I put up at 9 a.m.? I don't know. So I try all these random little things I would use, like, you know, with weird uh, ideas for ads. Anyways, long story short, I started really performing in that. But at that point, the business was really changing. Um, buying ads on Facebook is hard. Like, it's hard then. It's even harder today. So what was working wasn't working. And Damon saw that. And he goes, I think we need to pivot. I want to come on full-time DDE. And I'll give you a salary, even if it comes from my pocket. What do you need to live? And at that point, I think... I think I needed to net out $6,000 a month or $5,000 a month. And I was like, that's what I need just to break even mortgage and things like that. It's just, I got you. So he, he gave me a salary from thin air. He pulled from his other company, from his personal money. I don't even know, but that was where it was like, I joke about riding coattails because it's funny, but that was just like, if you have an opportunity, you have to recognize that and jump on it. And then you have to do the work because it's not free. Like Damon didn't say, here, cool. I'll give you $50,000 a month. And you just hang out with me with the bros. That don't work like that. He had given many people opportunities in both his companies and everyone just it's too hard. You know, I want money right now. I don't want to sacrifice the sleep. And I was so hungry to change my life. So hungry to have the things I always wanted to have, the things I thought made me really happy, which we'll get to in a minute. So I just, honestly, I just worked my face off. I, every day, night, all I did, I focused on it, focused on it. Eventually it's like, hey, do you want to um, help me make a video? Like be on camera, like just help me hold a camera or whatever. The original plan, I'll never be on camera. I never wanted to be on camera. I never wanted to be a co-star. But he, he saw that I had a personality and I'm a smart ass. And the more I got comfortable, the more I make joke. We started getting this on-screen banter between the two of us. We started to kind of carry the video. Where solo vlogging is kind of awkward and it's hard to like, there's people like Stratman does an amazing job at it. It's just not as organic and it's a bit more forced when you have to be the only person talking to the camera. There's two of you, you can balance off each other, kind of like Top Gear did. Hmm. So started coming together and then... Um, it just escalated. So I started um, making the videos and then I hired someone to do the partnerships for us. And I kind of just did whatever it took to, to play till today where Damon and I both run the company. Damon's more on creative. I'm more on execution, but together we kind of hash out everything. And we have a whole team of seven people. So I don't do brand deals anymore, but I have someone, I manage someone who does them for us. Uh, we have two editors for YouTube, one for Facebook. When I first came on, Damon edited all the videos. It was just him and he daily uploaded. So wow. the, the, the growth has just been um, huge, but it's all been come down to is how hard we work. But you asked earlier about net worth. The reason why I don't stop too often and go, this is what I'm working on, this is what's happening, is because I just wanted this to work. I never wanted to go back to my job. That's the biggest fear is going back to a corporate job. I would not fit in. I would, I would be so miserable. I know that now. Now that you've had a taste of this life. Um, so the fear I have still to this day and still why I push it and why we work so hard is to protect the business so that we don't have to like do anything else, like keep this going. And, you know, we're at a position now where we have an aggregate of 7 million followers. We do 45 million views a month. Uh, we get recognized everywhere and we're still surprised by it. We're still humbled when we go, even on Gumball, we pull up to name one of the cities and there's thousands of people waiting to meet us. Like, Again, a dude in his mid-30s from a small island in Canada worked at Starbucks. Now people want me to sign something. Even after five years of doing this or six years now, it's still like the craziest thing. And i tell you one thing. We will stand there and meet every single person if it takes three hours. Like we are so thankful that this is our life now and that people, people are the ones that make this happen. And I don't know if it's because we're older, but we didn't really ever let it get to our heads where we have this is like entitled now. I know that tomorrow this could all go away really, really quickly. And sometimes people that get into the space to get a new taste of success or fame, what do you want to call it, start to feel like it's just earned into who I am now. People like me because it's me. No matter what I do, people are going to like me. I can say whatever I want. I can be rude to a waiter, whatever. Um, 
I think because Damon and I both come from nothing and work service jobs, like to this day, I will talk to everybody in a hotel. I'll treat the valet with more respect than anybody else. Like I, I know who's doing the work versus like just kissing ass to a manager. So that's where I really think about like what really matters. And I mentioned earlier around like, I don't know for you, but when I started making money for the first time, I thought, okay, now I've got a bit of money. Now I'm going to go buy some Gucci shoes and this and that and this and that and this and that. Cause that's what you think you're supposed to do. And you get it like, I'm not any happy. This is stupid. Like there's a few things I like, but like, then you go, okay, what do I actually value now? And that's really the big arc in entrepreneurship and success. That's been the weirdest part is like, you spend so many years trying to get the, the thing you want to get, which is money, right? You want to make money. Mm -hmm. You start making money. Then you're like, does it solve all my problems? It actually mm -hmm. doesn't. It comes mm -hmm. back to relationships, mm -hmm. friends, people you can actually hang out with. And, um, you know, if, if people are watching our videos know, like we have a small circle, very small circle, because people will now come to you and, and act like your friend because they want something. And you get dumbfounded by it. It had happened many times where like, I thought someone was just cool. Like, oh, yeah, he's cool, he's cool. And all of a sudden, like, start a YouTube channel, the exact same as ours, and they copy everything we do because they're asking questions the whole time. So how does how's the ad placement work? And how do you do that way? Oh, he's my buddy. It's all good. And tomorrow, they're making the same videos. And people are like, oh, you had a falling out with so-and-so because you burn bridges. Like, no, like, this business is cutthroat. And we can't even talk about it. We have to just move on from it. But it happens. And that's probably the hardest part is you get to a place now where you have something and people want to take it and will do things and say things to kind of, you know, pull from you and you have to be the better person because I can't go on the internet and say something because I look like a jerk. So you have to just be the, the bigger man in it. Anyways, I talked for a long time. Have I answered your question? Have I covered anything <laughs> neat? Yeah, Mate, that, 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 that is a, a fucking very, very inspiring story and, and, and something that a lot of people can learn from, including me. Um, so I guess the reason why I asked you about the net worth, number one, I wanted to know if that was kind of accurate. Um, but two, I, I guess... Even though, as you've just described, money isn't the most important thing in life and it certainly doesn't make you happy, quote unquote, but it's something you can measure. And from being in Starbucks to where you are now and you know having a net worth of in and around the five million or whatever it may be, it's, it's inspiring to know that people can get there if they're going from a similar journey as you. The other thing I wanted to say to you, which you touched on, but you reminded me of, of the Gumball Rally, it was the first time I've done the Gumball and I believe it was the first time that you and Damon have yeah. also done the Gumball Rally as well. One thing that I noticed, there was a few things I noticed, but one of the things that stood out for me is there were what I call quote unquote, like, I want to say it in, in a way where it doesn't sound like I'm being disrespectful, what I would call your typical celebrity, which is yeah. Bumby, Lamont yeah. Morris. Um, you had CeeLo Green. Uh, there was the Hoffman, you know, there was people that I've seen on TV or in music videos or even in movies for many, many years. And I would say these are genuine real life celebrities that I'm actually hanging out with now. And thankfully, yeah. I've actually interviewed a few of them since the Gumball Rally. But what took the streets by storm every time we went to a new city was when people like yourself and also Shmi and people like that turned up. And I thought... When we was in Toronto and we started off, I thought, well, obviously you guys are going to have a pool because you're Canadian. We're in Canada, so therefore you're going to have a pool. But we went to Barnstown, which I'd never freaking heard of this place. There was a massive crowd. I went to Nashville, massive crowd. Atlanta. And you said something there which is really, really true, and I want to, I want to uh, support what you just said there. I went to approach you and Damon just to have a chat and kind of be on your back about doing this podcast. And there was a whole line and Damon said, definitely do it. I just got to go through this line. And I thought, fucking hell, there is so many people there. And you must have been out there for a good few hours. And I can see how much you care about the following and fans that you got. Um, I just wanted to say it's impressive how, how two guys who've got the fabulous brand can go from Toronto all the way down to Miami and everywhere you went, you were recognized. I mean, beyond money, beyond the cars, beyond the following, that is like a weird, like, like spiritual kind of mad feeling, right? Yeah, it's, I mentioned it's still surprising because when you do social media, we're paid off of numbers. So when I look at a video, it has a million views. Okay, cool, that's gonna make this. I can sell it to a brand. We can expand the business. What you don't realize that's a million people. Forget that, 45 million views a month between Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and impressions. 45 million views of that unique, probably call it 50% unique. It's called 25 million people. 
And every month has different people. It's going to happen. It's going to get recognized. And it's not always what you think. People all times think the kids that watch our show. We have more people over 65 than under 18 that watch DDE. Our core wow. demographic is 25 to 35. American primarily, 40%, 48% American. Canadians only 6% of our audience. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then it, then it goes like Australia, Philippines. Remember, our fourth, fourth largest audience is in the Philippines. We're Western cultures, obviously, something that people are inspired by, and you don't just see all those crazy things. Um, I think because a traditional celebrity, you know what you're going to get into, and you're pumped, you're pumped about it. You're hyped about it. You're going to be famous. You're going to do that. You're going to be on TV. Where social media is kind of like the underdog world, where it kind of came up slowly. And even to this day, you know, I heard people say, uh, I heard someone yell, like, well, I want an autograph with somebody. He's just an actor. He's on TV. And I'm like, I just like, whatever. And I was like, well, what, what do you, when you're on TV, what's the difference between being on a television program or a YouTube channel? When people are watching it, engaging it, it's kind of the same thing. Now, traditionally, you're right. Like television, you're instantly recognized as being famous. There's a marketing campaign. You have all these people doing their thing, which I would never want. I would never want to have an agent saying, you can or can't say that. You can or can't do that. A PR manager. It's just us. Like Damon and I can wake up in the morning and go, what video do we want to make today? Or do we want to make a video? Or mm-hmm. we have a video lined up. And all of a sudden I look at Damon and I'm like, nah, I don't want to do this. This is stupid. We can delete it. We can make, we've actually had entire vlogs. We filmed this whole series, rented a runway, cost all this money. And we basically copied a Hoonigan show called um, This Versus That. We had to, because insurance company said, we'll only insure you if you can give us a, a, a visual example of what the show will look like. So, okay, cool. Here's Hoonigan show. We're just going to do this. So we literally copied it one-to-one. We're friends with them, so we all laughed about it. And um, I filmed five episodes. The first three went up, and they did so bad, like the worst views we've ever had. So we have two episodes right now that will never see the light of day. Now, hmm. we can make that choice. Now, if I was, again, an actor or whatever like that, I'd have no say in it. I could watch it, but I hate this, and they say, too bad, you know, we have final cut. And a lot of times, those actors, they don't have the autonomy by, at any level or make the money. They might, you might see Tom Cruise makes $50 million. That's a bad example because he owns the company. But let's say you're an actor and you have a $10 million paycheck. They're not making $10 million. They're going to have 20% going to manager agent, 10% going to the PR, and then taxes. They might walk out with $3 million, which is still really good money. Whereas for us, like we had the total control over it and how that relates to, you know, being on that event and meeting people. I, I think I've, I've thought about this a lot. I think the reason why people are so um, connected more personal than a traditional actor is an actor is like Tom Cruise isn't Tom Cruise in the movie. Mm-hmm. And if you meet Tom Cruise, you don't really know anything about him. You know that he's into some, some weird stuff. Maybe he's a pilot. Um, but you don't know what he had for breakfast that morning. You don't know about his daily life. When you're an influencer, like we film our everything. Like we have a, the main channel, we have behind the scenes. So we upload daily. So people that watch the videos know my kids. I don't put my kids on there a lot. My oldest one doesn't like it. So I'll put her on there, but like, they know I've got kids. My girlfriend's in the videos all the time. They, I have this townhouse I just built. That's a piece of shit. They've seen the process of that me going after the developer. So they know these things. It's really easy to approach saying, Hey Dave, how, how's your new place going? Because they feel connected mm-hmm. and they know so much about you. And it's weird sometimes because I don't know who this person is. So they walk up and they know everything and they expect you to be the exact person you are on camera. And they expect you to, um, you know, take, to give that time because they've given you their time. So you can't have it both ways, especially when you're an influencer, because like you, they've invested time and energy into connecting with you. So if you're rude to them, it's like, well, you're talking to me on camera. Like I'm holding a camera staring at it, talking to you every day. They, you see me in real life and you don't talk to me? Like, it's a mindfuck for them. So there's a responsibility that comes from that. And I think the more it's evolving is like traditional celebrities really changing. Like, if you look at movie stars, you have Tom Cruise, I mentioned a few times, Tom Cruise, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Will Smith. Who's replacing them? Like, if you look at Hollywood, like, who's the next big hub? There really isn't what it used to be. Mm-hmm. The premieres are what they used to be. Like, it's changing. And I know I talked to a guy who works for a studio and they, his job, is to go into theaters and just watch people's behavior. So he's just there and you go to the theater, some hidden area, and just watch people. And he goes, three years ago, people watched a movie, they just stared the whole time like this. Now, people do this. When I watch a movie, they're bored. Hmm. People are now on Netflix, when they watch a Netflix movie, now skip through it. Like, that was never, you would never skip a scene in a movie, ever. But now, because they're used to YouTube, they don't like it, they move on. Hmm. So the people's behaviors are changing. The, the biggest challenge for Hollywood now, too, and that would be like, the level you can consume. You know, a show comes out on Netflix and, you know, there's always a new series comes out and there's eight episodes. 
and you watch it all in one day and that's it for a year. So these, these networks now are competing with YouTubers like us that we make 365 episodes a year. They get more views than a Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you compete with that? And so looking at it, like, well, it's, it's, it's different. Like, yeah, but it's, attention is, advertisers are just buying your reach. Uh, when they put a movie, when they put a, a Sony computer in a James Bond movie, they want people to see the computer in that movie. That's, that's what it is, it's product placement. So it's no different from a uh, social media. The difference right now is it's still very undervalued because creators don't know what they're worth. If you have a video, like, yeah, I do, you know, I do t- a million ep- of views an episode. I come with like, cool. Hey, why don't you use this product in your videos? And you make seven videos for us, seven million views. We'll give you five grand. Oh, okay. But it's like, what would that cost you to go on Facebook and get seven million clicks on your offer? You would spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But creators, again, a lot of people don't. Like, Dan and I came in this as marketers and entrepreneurs first, creators second. But a lot of times, all of a sudden, you're just good on camera, make videos, and make money. So the industry sees that right now. It's kind of coming in lowballing a lot. And Damon and I are really strict on like, this is our minimums. This is what we charge. This is what we know our value is. And it's still undervalued. However, now we're starting to see the big companies come in. So we did a campaign for Universal for Fast 9. We did a campaign for Sony. So we're starting to see, and that's new. That never would have happened five years ago. So that's why I mentioned earlier, we really focus on like, where is this going to go? What's possible? And what's possible is way bigger than it is today. But then you have the question of, well, what more do you want? Do you want to sacrifice more stress, more time away from your family and more energy for more money? Do you need more money? And Damon and I have a conversation all the time. Like, at one point we had 17 cars. Like, we don't need 17 cars. Am I any happier to have 17 cars with 17 payments, 17 insurance payments, than I am having five cars? Like, you get to a certain point where more money is not going to make you more happy. What's going to make you more happy is more time and peace. And every person I know that makes really good money says the same thing. It's like, that's the one thing you can't, can't get back is time. Right now, Damon and I could make $50 million a year. No problem if we went and worked every day. If we moved to LA and chased everything, went to all the celebrity parties and networked and all these things, we could make tons of money. But for, at what cost? And for why? And, and tomorrow, all of a sudden, you find out you're sick and you're dying. And you're like, I miss my kids growing up. I, I never had a healthy relationship with a girl or a friend. Uh, so I could have a bunch of money, so I could have, you know, a Rolex. Hmm. Um, and don't get me wrong, I appreciate those things because that, those are all aspirational. I was even a watch guy. You're a watch guy as well, I know. Yeah. And I love it, but I love it for me, not because I want someone to see me going, oh, he's got that watch on. I love it because I love the engineering. I love the story. It's also an investment. I truly enjoy it just for me. I'll sit alone, I'll be around, I'll look at my watch, and I'm like, this is really cool. I really appreciate this. Do you know so, what it is as well? It's a medal. You know, yeah, like like it. a like a like a racer or a boxer or a Formula One driver, they cross that finish line, and they got a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. But what they get, which makes them feel really good for that moment, and probably many years after, when they look at it on their mantelpiece, is that medal. And that medal might not even cost you know billions and billions of pounds or millions and millions of pounds or dollars, but it sits there on your wrist or on your mantelpiece, and you go, you know what? I done that. That was me. I, I got there. And that's why treating yourself every so often to a new watch yeah. or to some, something that you've got in your vision board or something that you've been writing down, you know, as an affirmation is so, so important. You mentioned vision board. Very funny story. Uh, I created a vision board 2016. It was Damon's ideas. Like I, I never learned about these things. So I made a vision board. And first of all, everything has gone beyond showing my vision board. Like I had like a, a stainless GMT on my vision board. I had a 911 on my vision board, which I'm not even a Porsche guy, and why I use that car. Um, there was a picture. I always wanted to go to New York City, right? I always wanted to go visit New York. And on my vision board was a picture of Times Square, but it was actually from Gumball 3000 when they were in New York. I didn't even know that. I found a cool picture. It was New York, it was supercars. And Dan was like, oh, that's Gumball. And I was like, that's Gumball? I knew what Gumball was. And that was always like the dream. Like, can you imagine Gumball? And we've done every rally. We've done all the ones in the US and in Canada that had our own, but... Gumball was always like the, that's it. There's nothing beyond Gumball. And fast forward to this year, Damon and I went and we did obviously Toronto, Miami. We went to the Middle East next month. And then we're going to do the Europe one in June as well. And now we're doing these rallies that if people don't know, they're not free. And we don't get a discount. Nobody gets a discount. People think, oh, your GD you probably get for free. I'm like, Gumball is not free. <laughs> right? You'll pay. I mean, I don't know. I think they're like 75,000 US or 60,000. Somewhere around that. It's a lot of money to go drive a car. I'll pay, pay 50,000 pounds. 50,000 pounds. Yeah, so it's real money. But I'll say this. 
I have never met so many awesome and humble people on a rally uh, other than Gumball. Mm-hmm. Like Gumball, people were so like, you go in the WhatsApp group and you look at people's profile pictures and it's not some guy with his watch and his private jet and like with a fur jacket on. It's a guy with his wife and his daughter or his dog. Because they're just, they, they've gone past that. They've made the money. They've, they've learned what it actually means. They come back to figure out who they actually are and what they value and that's friendships. And people were like, I know a lot of rallies that weren't like that. The other rallies are people are just not very nice and everyone's trying to show off with their least Huracan and their no date sub and they're trying to play this role because they think it's going to make them happy. They think they'll be accepted. Um, but that's what I really enjoyed about Gumball because I don't know what we're walking into. Like you've heard stories, things like that. You know, Damon and I, obviously we do well, but like there's guys in that rally that are like, worth hundreds of millions and I'm sure even in the billions, especially in the Middle East. But yeah, it was a really cool experience to meet people. And that's really how your brain learns as well as around people that are really successful. And the conversations are always, the biggest thing I noticed right away is they're always positive. No one's complaining. Yeah, Everyone's got a growth mindset. Everyone is talking about positive things, what's possible. And in my previous life, when I worked for Starbucks, for example, when I was with my peers, it was always negative. It was always a negative competition about the government's not helping me with this. My employers, I should get paid more, I should get that. So you learn right away successful people, how they think versus people that aren't successful. And it really comes down to just how they look at the world. It's a mindset. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing that uh, Damon said in my podcast I had with him in Miami, Ford Lauderdale in, uh, in the uh, Hard Rock uh, Hotel, he said, Gumball is actually less about the cars and more about the people and the experience. Mm-hmm. Because when I was younger in the 90s, in the early 2000s, as a young kid watching it on YouTube, I was like, this is unbelievable. I, I visualized in my head that I was going to get an old M3, BMW M3, and like, you know, take a bunch of my friends in there and, and, and do it. And uh, thankfully this year I managed, managed to get on there, not in that car, in a, you know, in an Aventador. And... I just thought it was all about the cars. And don't get me wrong, it is. There were some unbelievable cars, including your S3J, which was probably my favorite car on there with the Quintana exhaust. Um, But it's the people. I know that sounds a bit cheesy and a bit wanky as well. Like, oh, yeah, it's all about the people. But it really is. I mean, I've, I've interviewed and connected with so many people off the back end of it. And it really has developed the network into something really, really special. And at the end of the day, your net worth is always determined by your network. And that's yeah. why I think it's important. It's it's an investment doing it. And that, that's, a, that's a hard part of the reality is like, if someone's watching this right now, and I like to think of somebody like myself watching this video, where I was when I was at Starbucks, where I felt helpless. And I knew I was hungry, but I just didn't know how to do it. What I appreciate is that you're gonna lose friends. I have friends from, I had friends I was close with for 20 years. But now I can't have a conversation because my world is so different. That sounds like I'm being an asshole. But I'm like, they're like, how's the week? Oh, yeah, we were, uh, we drove to, we drove supercars to Colorado, got stuck in a snowstorm, this, that, this, that. Like, there's crazy shit every day. And that's my life now. And so, some people just can't, can't grasp that. And you, you, it's like, I think Snoop Dogg said this you're on an elevator, right? And your friends can't come to every floor. Eventually, your friends have to get off because they just can't handle it. They're going to get resentful, self destructive. And it's all insecurities, right? They're all insecurities. It's the same thing like when I left my Starbucks job. Every single person, my family, my friends said, you are so stupid to leave your, in 12 years, the corporation had six weeks vacation, had a retirement plan, stock options, and you're going to leave that to make YouTube videos? That's not going to work. You're too old. It's already been done. Like YouTube's, it's done. And um, I just had this, and it's honestly like, Damon's office very positive and said, this is going to work. I feel confident. And that's all fine, Eddie. But I had that self-belief. It just made me like, this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And I literally quit my job. I, I mean, Damon obviously gave me a small salary, but I, I had my credit cards were racking up. I was, it was all in. There was no backup plan. But again, to what you just said, was really important is that I started making friends with people that were very successful. And I started to change the way I think. Took the fear away, started learning. And, you know, one thing leads to another thing. And then this leads to that thing. You meet that person, that back grows. And everything kind of just does this. And Damon and I, to this day, when we go to LA, which happened this week, we were at an event yesterday, Cars and Copters. We met a few guys there where it's like, oh, I own this company that does this. We should do that. It's like, it just grows. But you have to have that circle of people. You can't have the person that is your friend that's, you know, has a shitty job at a grocery store that hates it. Every day bitches about how much he hates his job. It'll, it'll get in your head. And it's going to slow you down. And it sucks. And you still... You know, it doesn't mean you have to block them on Instagram and never talk to them ever again. They just can't be part of your circle. It can be, and I have friends still that say, oh, see them once in a while. They'll say hi. 
But it's also when I'm like, hey, I have an idea for my business. Just chat on the phone. Like, oh, no, 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 no. No one's gonna want that. Like, there is nothing new. There's no new movie idea. There's no new YouTube idea. There's nothing new. We've done everything. I think I used to write screenplays when I was younger because I wanted to be a screenwriter for some reason. I wrote to Starbucks. And I think I remember the train. It was like, there's six story concepts and that's it. There's only six movies. That's it. Six. It's, it's how you spin it on your own. DDE, DDE is not really about the cars. Like the cars are kind of like the what, but the why is us, our personalities. So the why is like, where are we going to go? Who are we going to meet? What are we going to do? What's the emotion, the reaction? So people start to watch it for you, not the car. And that's the only way we can scale it because like, there's no new cars coming. The Aventador is done. There's new one coming. We don't know what it is yet. There's a Huracan. That's it for Lamborghini. The Urus, it's awful. Um, McLaren hasn't anything new. Ferrari has kind of the same things. There's just no new cool big V8s. Like it's over. It's all hybrids, electrics, which no one wants to watch. It's really frustrating. So it's like, okay, cool. But we built this uh, brand where now people just watch it for us. And as long as there's something to cook them, it can't just be me and David eating a sandwich. It has to be like a, a project, but we can take a car like we have um, the 720S, for example. There's nothing special about a 720S or everyone on the internet. But Damon had a vision to create a P1 um, GTR-inspired liberating body on it. And that- 1,500 brake horsepower, right? It's 13, 13 to 1,500, depending on fuel quality and whatever it's at. And it's terrifying. Like, it's the scariest car I've ever been in. It's so fast. But the story, people are so engaged. Yeah, the car is cool, but they, they've watched it. They saw the car come in. They saw... Damon want to paint it this pink lower color that doesn't exist. It does not exist. Damon found a company that makes model paint, bought it, sent it to a lab. They made the paint, painted the car, it didn't work. Painted the car, it didn't work. Painted the car again, put it in the sun and changed color. So people are watching the drama of that. So now they feel like they're part of that whole journey. So they watched all this and then they see it running and it's like, it's satisfying. So we'll click the video because they're emotionally invested in that versus just like, this is a car that goes fast. It's pretty wild. And that's the power influencers have, right? You, you hold the attention of people. And that's the point now where it's like, we have our behind the scenes channel, where I kid you not, if you've ever seen it, it's called Daily Journal Exotic Stories. And it's, we film behind the scenes in our personal lives. And we, we had a video that I get 300,000 views on there. And it's mm. not, I, I literally film my iPhone, edit it in 15 minutes on Splice and upload it myself. There's no editors for that. And it's making, I think it did like 5 million views last month, that channel, wow. which dollars might be, I, I have to look at analytics, probably 25, 30,000 bucks just in a behind the scenes channel. Now we have sponsors for that channel. So we offer, if a sponsor comes in, they want to sponsor a video, they don't have ad budget for the main channel. I say, well, what's your budget? They say, oh, we've got five, $10,000, what the number is. Okay, cool, I have, I have a behind the scenes channel. It gets less yeah. views, like that's what you're paying for. So, you know, you start to monetize every aspect of it. But it's just wild that people will watch, like even this place, I had some issues with it. And I have one video where I had the painter come look at it and talk about what's wrong with my place. 300,000 views. Mental, isn't it? Yeah. It's and mental. So on that note of numbers, so I've got YouTube, uh, sorry, uh, Instagram, you've got 1 million followers on there. TikTok, 1 million followers. Daily Driven Exotics on YouTube, your main channel, 3.23 million. And I was yeah. looking at your, 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 your views, and I think the one that's got the highest amount of views, if I'm right in saying, you could probably correct me if I haven't, May 21st, 2018, 24.5 million views. And mm-hmm. the title of it is Beverly Hills Police Use Unlawful Intimidation Tactics on Lamborghini Owner. And I watched that video actually earlier. That was just before our, our conversation here. And it's mental how that's just taken off. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that video has got basically 25 million views opposed to something else, which is just about one of your cars? Yeah, I think it's because people can all relate to the power struggle. People can all relate to being told one thing that's wrong by someone in authority, whether it be your school and your teacher in, in school, whether it be a police interaction, whether it be in a relationship. So that video really wasn't about cars. It was about a police officer that's wrong, that's so arrogant, that's so um, power hungry that rather than going, well, let me look, I'm going to call a superior and we'll find out he had to be right. And people can relate with that. Because we've all been experienced in life when someone was wrong, but they had that position of power where they're going to be right no matter what, and we can go equally as frustrating. And Damon actually wasn't even there on that trip. That's before I was even vlogging with Damon, ironically enough. Uh, I was doing a few of them, but like I wouldn't do every trip to California because it was expensive. Um, Damon did the right thing. He asked questions to challenge the officer, and then he went made a complaint. Uh, the ticket did get thrown out, obviously. Um, but that's what's happened. Like, like I see it every day when we get pulled over. It's like, 
just do your job properly. Like when I worked at Starbucks as a district manager, I had to be professional. I didn't have the option of being wrong and lying to a customer. So when you're a, 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 like the police officer, it's like, there's a camera on you. If I was a cop, I'd want everyone to film me. And I would just be professional, do my job. I had nothing to worry about. I'd say, sir, I'd explain the rule. And they challenge me. Either you say, okay, cool. Well, this is my understanding of the law. I'm going to give you a ticket. If you, if you don't approve it or don't agree, we can go to court and challenge it there. Or uh, give me a minute. Let me call a supervisor. I'll get him over here right now. And we can resolve this. And if you're wrong, I say, I apologize. I was wrong. Uh, you don't need a California license. Like basically, he was saying the premise is, he is saying that if you come to California as a tourist, you have to go to the DMV and get a California license. So without a home address and a visa and all that, you cannot go and get a California license. It's very difficult. Damon and I do not live in California. We are tourists. We stay in a hotel. We're there. We call and make off. So like we, we literally cannot get a California license. So his is like, nope, you have to get one. And that, that was a problem. It's just like, he was so stubborn. But like, you are a... a person of power, like you need to be smarter than that. You need to be more of a politician to be like, I'm going to look into this because the shitty part is, is that video had about 25 million views. Plus we have 2 million followers on Facebook and Facebook gets more views than YouTube. So double that. So call it 50 million, you know, that officer now has to live with that. That will follow him his whole life. Like yeah. he'll recognize his kids might get recognized at school and bugged about it, which I don't love that aspect of it, but we're vloggers. We vlog our day. And like, we don't choose someone's behavior. There's another interaction where Darren got pulled over another big video and the officer didn't understand the insurance forms. And he's like, these are wrong. There's, there's too many numbers on this, on your address. There's too many numbers. And, what? and then Damon asked him, well, don't you think you should? And the cop says, don't think. That's what people get in trouble. You shouldn't think, don't think. And Damon's like, My, your advice is don't think it's yeah, don't think. No. Have a, our camera's this big. It's a Sony with a big lens on, a big microphone. Like, you know you're being filmed right now. Are you that arrogant where you're going to look in the camera and say something stupid like that? No, just be professional. Or don't yeah. answer the questions. Like, if you get pulled over, like, they don't have to answer anything. Yeah. yeah. Like, you argue a ticket in court, not on the street side. We obviously challenge it because it happened the other day. We had a video go, actually, ironically, last week, had a video go viral. Had 4 million views in three days, which doesn't happen very often. Especially nowadays, it's a lot harder to go viral today than it was years ago on YouTube. Um, I got pulled over. There's three of us, and they said you're all doing 98 in the, in the 65. Well, you, we know like you cannot rate our three cars separately at the same time, get the exact same speed. Were we speeding allegedly? I, honestly, we weren't. But let's say we were. You'd have to go well, and, and then the shadow of the down court. What was their speed? Well, I paced you. Well, how does that hold up? And it doesn't hold up in court. That's the worst part. Is like we know we'll go to court and judge and be like, well, this doesn't hold up. You can't assume someone's doing something unless you have proof. But when you become a police officer, you sign an oath saying that you're going to follow the law. Like that's what you're supposed to be doing. So that's where people get frustrated. I think that's where people go. It goes viral is that people can relate to that power position and not being fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he, he lied about jumping through the red light or or some sort of stop, and he was lying about the California license and. Damon twisted him up. And do you know what? Go back to the mindset stuff. You know, a lot of people, you know, in that situation would have said oh why is this happening to me what you guys have done is you've used it for you rather than against you and you span it and turn it into you know some some really good footage um wanted to share something with you i don't know if you've seen this uh, when i interviewed and i hope you're all right for time dave yeah yeah, yeah i've got cool. told give me like 10 15 minutes is that cool good? all right i'm gonna just try and whack through this then okay so um when I interviewed uh, Damon um, on my Instagram, okay, one of the videos that's done really well for me is when I asked him this segment about the Marcelago. Yeah, I got 1.3 million views, and on TikTok it's gone to 2 million, which is really good for me. I'm a very small baby in this in this realm at the moment. And he, he spoke about the LP640 uh, ma manual uh, coupe Lamborghini that got to totaled by uh, a garage after they took it on a test drive. Any updates on that about the uh, uh, Marshall Lago and how did you guys feel when you was told that news that your $900,000 car was smashed to pieces? Yeah, the, first of all, it was never about the money. We bought that car for, I think, $300,000. If it was a car Damon always really wanted, it was his dream car. So there's an emotional attachment to it. All the other cars wouldn't matter. Like if you crash a Huracan, they made 15,000, 20,000 Huracans now. There's only less than 99 manual up to 640s on the planet. And in North America, I think, I don't know, I'm going to get this wrong. There's a, probably called 40 or 50. You just can't get one. So we bought the car in 2019 when we were still starting to 
to grow my money. It was not, it was actually 20, end of 2018. And it was a big expensive car for us. It came, had a bad motor. It's been through two, mo- it's been through fucking everything, dude. Like it's had new motors, transmissions built. It was finally perfect. Everything was done. And that was a car, Dan was like, this is a car I will, you know, exit the company. I'll take it, I'll put my personal name and I'll leave with this car. It's the one car I always want. If it all goes away, it's a manual Mercy Lago. And when that happened, it was just like, I felt so bad because it was, a, it was like a punch in the gut. Like you just can't go buy another one. Um, the update on the insurance, unfortunately, is that they want to fix the car. The the hit is, I think right now, the cost of repair is $450,000. It's going to take two years. The problem is, is that the only person I want to build that car is Lamborghini in Italy, which they won't do. Maybe they would, I don't know, but the insurance company won't pay for that. So they're getting a car back with a $450,000 hit on it. What's it worth? Hmm. So we're at a position now with our insurance company. We're like, well, they won't, they won't write it off. So we have two options. They'll fix the car or we'll get it back smashed up and we'll get a check for the cost of repairs, which is around 450 grand. And that's it. And then we have to take the car inside what to do with it. Right. Okay. So uh, just want to ask you a couple of quick fire ones. Uh, hopefully yeah. you could, you know, uh, and then we're, and then I'll, I'll wrap up the uh, episode, bro. Um, so being in this, you know, the media car world, Crashes? What's the worst crash you ever had or near crashes? I bought my very first Lamborghini Gallardo. Uh, it was 2019. My dream car was a gated 2006 uh, Gallardo. Back then, this is pre-COVID. That I paid 150 Canadian for it. Now they're crazy. So it was, it was like, I was so happy. So happy. First Lamborghini. Like, I couldn't even sleep at night. I was sitting at the car like a moron. I'm driving to California for the very first road trip in the car. Uh, we were stocked in California about an hour uh, outside of San Francisco. And all of a sudden, I'm in the fast lane. All of a sudden, I see car hit <laughs> car in front of it. So I slam the brakes. I had brand new P4Ss on. I just stopped in time. I literally remember going, looking in my mirror, and I see somebody behind me in a red car, and I see their head look up like that. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I'm like, brace, brace, brace. And she spurred and just took the back corner and tore the car and basically tore the wheel off. And luckily, I wasn't injured because the impact kind of went through the car, not in the car, not into my spine. So I was actually fine, luckily. And that's all that really matters in the story. However, I'm like, oh, shit, she hit me. So I put it in first, go let the clutch out. I think I can drive off the road. And there's nothing left back there. I get out and the car's destroyed. What's crazy is how rude the cop was. And there's a video that has a lot of views on this. Of course, we, we vlogged it. And he said, only assholes drive cars like this. And he asked if I wanted a souvenir and kicked a part of my car towards me. Because his mindset was, oh, this rich guy wrecks his car. Like, what an cares? asshole. What an asshole. And people took him a hard time on that and actually got a phone call from his lieutenant apologizing. And all I said to the lieutenant was like, I actually have empathy for that man because whatever's going on in his world is why he's acting the way he's acting. Yeah. He's obviously not happy. Might have a really unhappy relationship. Might have, I don't know what that guy's going on. Like, he's so miserable. He's so unhappy in his life. I actually, I was never angry. I just felt a lot of empathy towards him. Like, we get one life. This is it. This is all we got. We're all going to die. It's yeah. all going to be a traumatic ending. This is the one run you had. And that's how you choose to live your life. Like, and I've been there. I was living my life. I was miserable, miserable, like super depressed all the time. So I only had empathy for it. It was really, I'll send you a link after this. You can see the video, but it was like, it was almost comical how mean he was being. Made really good views. Well, um, I, I was upset because I loved that car. I got written off, but I was more happy in the fact that I was not injured. Um, the downside was, is that it wasn't my fault, the accident, hundred percent her fault, but the insurance company gave me $30,000 less for the car than I bought it for three weeks earlier. Jeez. $30,000. Ah, Jesus. That car today is worth probably two twenty-five. Yeah. I, I had, I had a yellow, uh, Lamborghini 2005 Gallardo. Uh, I actually bought it off of one of the owners of Audi in the UK and, uh, it, yeah. Was it manual or e-gear? No, no, e-gear. Yeah, it was incredible. And then I got a 458, and uh, which was uh, the F1 sort of gearbox, I think it was called. Yeah. And then I went back to Lamborghini because I'm more of a Lamborghini guy than Ferrari. And I got a Performante Gallardo. I think it was five LP570. Yeah. And it was um, it's still today my, fa- my, my, my most favorite car. On the note of favorite cars or a car, car question, what has been the most expensive car that you guys have bought? Uh, we had a Porsche Carrera GT. Okay, the green one. Yeah, we sold it recently. Made some money off of it. Now their first million dollar plus car. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. The uh, seven twenty GTR 
McLaren, the new one that you got, and also the SVJ Lamborghini Aventador. Both, I believe, have got Catani exhaust on there. Mm-hmm. Which is the louder car, and which one shoots the biggest flames? So SVJ is louder because it's really high pitched, uh, as you've heard on the rally. Like in the videos, it doesn't translate; it destroys your eardrums. The 720 GTR has a flame tune that will shoot like an eight foot fire, like a long lingering flame. So the 720 is like, you literally cannot rev that car people behind you. You'll burn. It'll be seriously like someone on fire. It's wild. It also runs on E85, has a fully built motor, so pistons and rods and everything like that. Uh, whereas the SVJ is literally a factory everything. SVJ has a tune and an exhaust and then wheels and a wrap. That's it. That's how amazing that car is. It's incredible. You know, with a 720, we probably have $200,000 into that build on top of the price of the car to make it the way it is. So plans for like any other super outrageous cars in the future? Because I noticed you've got a Kona's Egg jumper on there. Any Kona's Eggs in the pipeline? Uh, we wore these at Monterey Car Week and we called ourselves the Ghost Squadron. We actually went and met Christian wearing these. We told him that he's allowed to join the squadron. Um, here's the problem. People nowadays, like a hyper car does not get the same views as a car you can build because there's no personal attachment the same way you'd have on a Huracan 720, things like that. So... We're not just, we don't just buy cars because we like them because we're rich guys. We buy cars because the cars make money and pay for the car. So never say never, we might try something, but if you could buy a Koenigsegg and it would get a million views every episode of you just driving the car around, we'd have 15 of them. It doesn't work that way. People are more interested in cars they can relate with. Somebody watching at home, watching our channel, chances are if they want, they can have a Huracan. You can lease one for $3,000 a month. It's attainable. Like it's still a lot of money, but if you work really hard and you have a construction company, a roofing company, a janitorial, whatever, you can have that car. To buy a Koenigsegg or a Pagani, whatever, that's like four or five million dollars. Your payment would be ninety grand a month. It's not attainable. Hmm. It's like unless you're stupid rich, like that's so much money. Like why would you? I would take that money and I'd buy an apartment complex and retire. Like so. So I think people are attracted more to the affordable supercars because it's something they can relate with, which is so far beyond anything. As well as it's hard to modify. Now, I think and I've talked to him about this. If we can do a hypercar, I think we'd have to really grow some balls and treat them like we treat our cars now. Cut bumpers off, build smash them up. Yeah, we'd have to really take and put them through the paces of a supercar. That's really how I think it would work for us. However, you know, like we're talking about millions of dollars here. And that's a lot of risk. It's also like, I don't people would accept that because a Huracan is not just 20,000 Huracans. No one cares. You take like a one of 25 car and you start doing dumb shit to it. People might actually find that disrespectful and not even watch the video. It actually damaged the brand. So it's finding that balance of like, you know, we want crazy, we want wild. We also want sustainability in our business. But again, to back it up, never say never because we could also make money on the appreciation. So if Christian gave us an allocation, when we buy the car, make some videos, it doubles in value, we make money off of it. Then that would make sense. Could you list the, the cars that you've got now? Because I'm pretty sure it's going to be different to when oh, Damon God. done it. Um, okay, I'll start off with Lamborghini. So we have uh, SVJ, Huracan, My Murcielago, uh, the LP640. We just painted blue, the SV kit. Damon's Murcielago. Then we have a Ferrari 550. We're going to do a full race build right now. Ferrari F12. That is getting a wide body kit. McLaren 720S. Uh, we have two G-Wagons, uh, uh, 2019 and 2017. So Damon's wife drives the newer version. I have the older version. Um, we have a Hummer H1 we just bought with a big Duramax in it. I think it's so much fun. We have a Mercedes-Benz S55 with the roof cut off, sitting in storage for three years. I haven't seen it. That was just a for fun project. We have a 1996 Honda Integra Type R spoon build. I think that's it. Uh, Dodge 2019 Dodge Caravan GT. Nice. Car. We we are at a point now where we are around cars so much, but we're not filming. We park the cars, we'll get in the minivan and love it. If our friends in there, we drive the minivan everywhere. Monterey Car Week, if you want to see DDE, it was like Mr. JW, we're all in the minivan the entire time. And that yeah. minivan became a character. People now love the minivan. The minivan gets views again because the store is so good, has a, a race stream with shift lights in it. We're gonna get it souped up a little bit. But yeah, I forgot the minivan. Oh, there's one secret car I can't mention, I'll tell you off camera. All right, cool. Um, look, there's a bunch of other questions I wanted to ask you about the business side of it, but I'll tell you what we're going to do. Whenever I see you next, whether I come over to the States or to Canada or when I'm on the next Gumball Rally, which won't be in the Middle East, but will probably be next year through, through uh, Europe, 
maybe we'll get a hotel room somewhere and we'll, we'll shoot it with you and Damon together this time and we can have sure. a, a proper conversation. This is the last question. When yes, I sir. first came up uh, with my own, when I first started my own brand, when I was about 24, 25 years of age, it was in sales, yeah? And I had to come up with a mindset mantra to keep the salespeople on point, delivering day in, day out. And here's, here's what I came up with. Be happy, never content. Now, I've got my own interpretation of what that means, Dave. But if I were to ask Mr. Daily Driven Exotics, Dave, what does be happy, never content mean to you? When I hear that, it reflects to my need for growth. So I get really bored of things always the same way they are. And it doesn't mean they have to make more money or it just needs to be like, what's different about tomorrow than it was today? You know, what people are going to meet? What experiences are we going to have? What I want to have at the end of my life, I want to have the craziest stories to tell. I want a new story every single week where it's like, I'm sitting there, yeah, I, I did everything. Like, there's nothing I missed out on. There wasn't anything I regret. I did everything. I saw this. I did that. I met that person. I've checked off every box. Okay, I'm ready to go. Peace out, planet. So that, that's my interpretation of that. Beautiful. Look, mate, I really enjoyed this uh, this this chat. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Keep on doing what you're doing. You're inspiring so many people. And uh, listen, you're, you're great guys, both of you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, and be happy, never content. God bless. And big up your chest. Mm-hmm.